Welcome to the finale episode of Demobile's Your Germany Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Homestone, and joining me as always is a Canadian who is, and literally has, been welcome at my house for Christmas, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. I thought that was a fairly appropriate one, uh, given the, the content of this episode. Given the conversation between Sven and Leonard? <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd give you a nice sweet introduction for once, rather than me usually being passive-aggressive and bitchy about you in the intros. Poor Leonard. He'll be even lonelier now. And after eight long weeks, we do now finally know who our mole is, and shot gasp horror, it's Leonard. The one person who we've had on our suspect list since, well, for you, Michael, you've suspected him since the very first week, so congrats on that. Thanks. It's, it is honestly really weird being in this situation. I've really, obviously, generally, I wish that we'd gone to the finale on Sunday, but especially this year, I wish we'd gone to the finale just because... We were so on Leonard all season, yeah. and yet the contestants really weren't, and I don't know why. It's funny, because you had him since week one, and I had him since week two. Well, I, ha- I had him and Sven since week two, so it was kind of funny watching this finale play over. It's like, both are equally suspicious. And throughout this whole episode, I was thinking, man, how is Analogs going to figure out who is truly the mole? Because... Both players have done such a fantastic job of moling, <laughs> especially Sven. I mean, props to Sven for looking at like as much of a mole as Leonard has all season long, who is the true mole. Yeah, it's odd for me because, as you said, I've been on Leonard since week one, but Leonard was very nearly my number one suspect in week one. I very nearly did a Vidum Georgia and pegged the mole from week one, and either the seven weeks he was my number one suspect. That never happens for me, especially with Belgi. That's what's kind of so mind-boggling about this, because obviously two years ago, essentially in the last week actually, because Facebook kept reminding me, two years ago, we were sat in that press room in Antwerp, and I was so unbelievably wrong on who the mole was that season. Even going into the finale, even when the reveal happened and Elizabeth walked through the doors, and I'm like, really? Fuck. And yet, fast forward two years later, pretty much to the day, and I'm like... How was I so right? This never happens. Like, I can no longer claim that I'm rubbish at guessing who the mole is on Belgi when I I beat you this year. And that just isn't a phrase I ever thought I'd say. Yeah, I mean, you had Leonard right from week one. I had him in my crossers, but I mean, the fact that you had him pegged at week one, I started in week two, we kept saying, yeah, Leonard's probably the mole, Leonard's probably the mole. Maybe, maybe, or maybe Sven. <laughs> Of course, they both had to make it to the end. And yeah, you just kept right on Leonard's the whole time. And then I'm like, uh, could he spend too? <laughs> Why didn't he get executed earlier? <laughs> I think I said this in the in the premiere recap. It was a genuine toss-up for my, my suspicions between Kevin and Leonard in week one. I sort of put Philip as the, the token third placer in there. And then it was a genuine toss-up as to who I would put as number one and number two out of Kevin and Leonard. And I flipped a coin, basically, and just went for Kevin. And I really wish I'd gone for Leonard just to just to be a smug person. Because fast-forwarding to the end of this podcast, I'm going to be saying every single name of the people who got Leonard as number one in the first suspicions list. All 11 of them. And it should have been 12, because I should have been on there. Leonard was my second. And I just don't understand how it happened. I obviously, as you well know, I knew it was Leonard before the episode got subtitled, because I accidentally saw Gilles' Instagram post last night of him with Demolverf, as he said. And I wasn't shocked. I was really excited, because obviously, you know, 
I beat you for once. But I just don't understand how we were on Leonard and the contestants weren't. It wasn't even that the contestants, because in general, because you can say, well, in general, the contestants weren't on Leonard. No, the winner of the season did not figure out who the mole was until 10 minutes before the final quiz. I can't recall a time where a winner didn't select the right mole until 10 minutes before the season ended. (laughs) The even better thing is, thanks to Jill, we know that it actually went to an unaired tiebreaker. Both Anna Lotta and Sven got the same amount of questions correct on the 30-question quiz. It went to the, the handwritten tiebreaker. Makes it be funnier if neither of them were right and uh, and it was... Uh, and they were writing about each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking, man, what happens with that a lot if it's, if it's like... Because uh, when Leonard appeared, she didn't, she didn't say that. She suspected Leonard has the mole on air. I mean, she didn't... I mean, it's not like they're going to film a confessional less than 10 minutes before they take the final quiz. I was thinking there's a real there's a very real possibility that whoever emerges from the shadow there is not even who she put as her mole on the quiz. <laughs> I don't think she was confident when those curtains opened. No. It could have just easily been Sven and be like, oh, so how did I win? <laughs> I kinda won by default. Yeah. We even did a handwritten quiz. We both got zero, and then we had to see who would get zero faster. But yeah, props to Analot though for Doing something that is not recommended, which is changing who your suspect is 10 minutes before you sit down for the final quiz. Because when we sit, sat down with Axel and Bass uh, at the Vietnam finale, both of them said that they were wanting to switch moles right as they were going to the final quiz because neither of them were confident. They're like, nope, nope, can't change my mind now. Have to stick with Elizabeth. And then here we have a situation where it's the first time that somebody's about to sit down for the final quiz and says, you know what, I'm going to change who my suspect is for the third time since Final Four. So you got to think that Analont only had Philip, Leonard, and Sven to suspect since last episode. Philip goes home, so she's like, well, I guess it's got to be Sven. And then 10 minutes before the end, she says... Mm, actually, maybe it's Leonard and wins the whole season. That's insane. Yeah, it's absolutely bonkers how it shook out. This is such a such an odd, fun season. And I know we're going to be saying so much more about the season as a whole next week, so I'm going to try not to get into this too much. But I think I've said it on the podcast before, I got slight Argentina vibes from this season, and I don't know whether it's because we did that rewatch pretty much this time last year. And it's kind of at the forefront of my mind. But I got such kind of Argentina vibes all the way down to it ending up being Analotta versus Sven with a retest, basically, with Speed deciding who won. And I have such praise for production for being able to essentially do an entirely normal season, even in the pandemic times, and even with them saying at the start of the season that this filmed basically just as Belgium was going back into lockdown. The fact that you basically cannot tell and i know that was one of jill's aims that he said in the kickoff special the fact that you cannot really tell that this was filmed in in corona times with the exception of like philip going into the bakery leonard and sven going into the department store in this episode and the family visit being being in the domes and maybe the bubble football although that was just a good joke from jill i don't think there's been any other indication during the season that 
that this film during a pandemic. I don't think you can tell outside of those tiny moments in the season. Yeah, like in Vidim, Czechia earlier this year, it was quite a bit more noticeable. It was a pandemic season. Yeah. like I have so much praise generally for Belgian production, but I have so much praise for them being able to pull off this sort of a season. To pull off a, legi- a legitimate season. Yeah, to pull off a legitimate season and make it feel like a normal season. Because that's so difficult for any show at the moment. Obviously, the world's getting a little bit better than it did in sort of September, October time when this filmed. But the fact that any show is able to successfully film at the moment and not feel like it's filmed under these extra conditions is brilliant. Yeah, we should note, Michael, it's next week that restrictions are finally going to ease and it's not going to be reversed for once. Yeah, I wasn't really going to mention this, but yeah, as of we're recording this on Monday evening, and uh, yeah, next week is, in the UK at least, international travel's back, eating inside restaurants is back, the shifting from legally mandating social distancing to you being able to hug family and friends and it's more personal responsibility, funerals no longer have any limit on them, weddings and everything like that is 30 people now instead of 15, you can meet family and friends indoors, at least two families and six people. Loads of the restrictions in the UK are lifting because of the hard work that we've done this year. And it's really sweet to have a season like this where you can't really tell. And I'm assuming it's getting a bit better in Belgium because I think the reunion is actually face-to-face one. I don't think it's a Zoom one next week. That's good because, yeah, Belgium, uh, I, I believe, is still oh, outside of India now That because that changed very quickly. But other than India, I think Belgium was hit, has been hit the hardest of anybody worldwide. Yeah, I think from what I've heard... They all had to test negative on the filming day. But I believe it's a reasonably face-to-face reveal. I'm not sure whether they're all going to be crowding on a couch and hugging Anna lot when they find out, but they're all at least in the same room this time by the sound of things. It's like when the alumni met up, a chunk of the alumni met up last week where they all were spaced apart outside on the grass. Yeah. I don't know what form it's going to take. I just know that they are at least in the same place and that they were required to test a negative to be able to attend. Yeah, then hopefully here in Canada we've got... Because we're at the peak of our restrictions right now, for those of you who don't know. I know we don't like to harp on like how much COVID sucks, but... Uh... We try not to, to mention the COVID. and In fact, I do remove a lot of our COVID references from these episodes, I'll be honest. Yeah. But hopefully another month or so, and it gets a lot better here too. So previously, the Final Four paid tribute to two of Germany's most famous sons by recreating the grim fairy tale Hansel and Gretel. And Anna and Lennart haunted their house before everyone except Sven hung off the park in Alexanderplatz to try and stop each other winning Passfragen. Philip was the only one to miss out, and much to everyone's shock, he was the final one dropped from the game. And we begin... Almost immediately after Philip's execution, three days before the finale. Everyone is shocked that he left. Leonard says it was an uncomfortable atmosphere, even though they'd all made the finals. Sven says there was a lot of mystery and ignorance, mainly from himself. Anna lost to put everything on Philip for the last two eliminations in a row, and she's realised now that she made the finale without knowing who the mole is. Leonard now thinks it's Anna Lotta. Sven says he's contemplating spreading over both people, but he might gamble on putting everything on Leonard's. Anna Lotta says Lennart seems so sincere, she'll kill him if he's the mole, 
so at the moment she would be on Sven. If Annalotta had not switched her mold ten minutes before the end, Sven could have won the game by spreading between two people. Well, by the sound of things, Sven did go all in on Lena in the end. Yeah, he did go all. Yeah, that's good. It's a good thing he did. But he was ten minutes away from winning by a spreading strategy, which would have been nuts. <laughs> that would have been a ridiculous ending. And Annalotta was ten minutes away from becoming the first finalist in Belgium mole history, at least in the reboot to not know who the mole was. Yeah, that's the other thing too I was thinking about last time, where it's like, hmm, Sven could have really just stood alone, only one person pick who the, picked who the mole was all season. Yeah, what a what an insane ending to the season. And the thing is, I think Sven could... What's funny when you get into a Final 3 situation like this is, it's very similar to the dynamic you'd see in the Celebrity Mole seasons in, in the American version. Because in the American version, Celebrity Mole Hawaii and Celebrity Mole Yucatan, Celebrity Mole Hawaii, the scenario was that the at Final 3, the two players didn't know who the mole was. The, the person who they thought the mole was since the beginning of the game gets executed at Final 4 and were aligned together. And they spend the entire final episode moling as po- much as possible to try and throw off the other. They don't go all in on mulling each other because they still pass the final challenge, which was worth 75000 US dollars, I think it was. And then they both didn't know who the mole was until the final quiz. So it was just the whole mind game to try and trick the other into thinking, no, I'm actually the mole, but it didn't work. And then Celebrity Mole Yucatan, uh, the eventual winner, Dennis Rodman, had his mole go out at Final Four. And then he figured out who the mole was at final three. And then the other guy, Mark Curry, had picked the same mole the whole time. And Dennis Strongman's like, well, I got to find a way, find a way to, to, to throw him off so that I can win at the end. And he just sabotaged every challenge he could in the finale. They pretty much didn't earn any money in the final episode. And Mark Curry was so thrown off that he instead picked Dennis Rodman as his mole. And Dennis Rodman was able to win the game that way. So it's kind of a fun dynamic here because we see Leonard as the biggest money earner this episode. Because I'm, I have a gut feeling that Sven and Analata both tried to mole as much as possible to throw each other off. Because I think there was a clear atmosphere that nobody knew who the mole actually was. So it was a matter of Sven and Analata trying their best to pretend to be the mole. Because really, that's the best strategy. And you could make the argument that Sven or or Especially, especially Sven because he lost, that Sven should have performed even worse at both challenges to ensure that Analata didn't even think twice, didn't, didn't call in the audible and change her mole to Leonard uh, uh, in the final minutes. So the opening quote to the episode is Alice hat ein Ende, nur die hat zwei. Everything has an end, only a sausage has two. From Stefan Rembler, who is apparently a German singer. And it is day 19 in Kaskau. Only one of the three is certain of the mole's identity, the mole themselves. Could it be Sven, the man who seems to know nothing all the time? Could it be Lennart, all his mistakes get forgiven? Or is it Anna Lotta, the contestant who always goes for the group and for the pot? They arrive at a castle, Schloss Vartin. To help relieve their stress, Jill has treated them to a meditation session. Getting Zen, however, could earn them money. You know what I wish would have happened is when 
while you know how Jill comes in when they're all trying to meditate, what would have been even better is when everyone has their eyes closed when meditating, if Jill came in and sat down as well, and then when they open their eyes, they just see Jill sitting down with his legs crossed meditating, wearing the meditation headband. I think that would have been great. I think in a non-corona season, he probably would have done that. <laughs> Do you think at this point, if you ever get a sort of extracurricular activity, you're always going to be suspicious as a contestant that Jill's going to walk in at any time? I feel like there's no such thing as a treat on the mole anymore. It would have just one time Jill's got to just has to completely leave them alone for something that's very out of character for them to do for the contestants. While they're all paranoid, trying to look for hidden clues or something, maybe they get to stroll around a famous landmark for the day, and they think, oh, there's got to be a challenge related to this, there's got to be a challenge, and then there's not. <laughs> I think in an activity like this, you can't relax, or I wouldn't be able to relax, because I'd always be waiting for the other shoe to drop, and for Jill to walk through the door and go, this is actually a challenge, how much were you paying attention to that room? Or similar. Because I was fully expecting him to walk in and say, while your eyes were closed, we did five differences in this room. You can have, I don't know, a thousand euros per difference you spot. Have fun. Yeah, they could have done that too. So, of course, Gilles does crash the party. Each of them will start with a personal money clock of a thousand euros, but that will drop depending on how stressed they get. They will have to wear a meditation headband and meditate for five minutes. The other two will be able to help them meditate and stop any distractions happening. Anna Lotter is first. All she has to do for five minutes is meditate while a German guitar player plays a wicked solo around her. All Sven and Lennart have to do is listen to five piano pieces played by Gilles on the piano, we'll get to that point in a minute, and identify the German composer. Each wrong answer they give is a solo that will be played for Anna Lotta. After last week, we did discuss how Gilles seems to be fluent in German and just showing off in this season. Then we get to this challenge, where he literally plays the piano without any music. How big is this guy's brain? <laughs> how clever is Gilles da Costa? Every single time he does a season, I'm like, seriously, what the hell guy? And by, by next season, we're going to find out he's an expert contortionist. The even worse thing is he's now confirmed separately that he doesn't know how to read musical notes. He was doing it purely from memory. He did a post on the Mullen group, which I forgot he does every year, and thanks to John for actually reminding me that he does, where he gave some behind-the-scenes information on this. And he said that he doesn't read music, so he actually had to just do this from memory. And it was the most nerve-wracking moment in six seasons for him. Oh, yeah, all he has to do is be like, um, what's the next note? <laughs> He said he was very relieved that Lennart and Sven actually messed this challenge up more than he did because it covered up any mistakes that he made. <laughs> it was funny when they were on the couch together and then Sven, Sven sits, gets really, really close to Lennart on the couch. He's like, well, we have to sit together so we can talk. And then Lennart says, well, we can just talk loudly, though. There's no reason why we need to share the same seat on a big couch. So the first piece is by Bark. And it is the piece that they heard being played in episode two. What's funny is, as Jill says, oh, I'm going to play this first song and it's a gimme for you guys. Which is funny because when I was playing in a trivia league a couple months ago, there was a movie soundtrack round where we had to guess the song based off movie. 
And I was getting all of these obscure ones from the 90s. Like, there was, there was even a question where there was 15 teams, and I was the only one that, that got it right, and I was playing as an individual, so I got 6 out of 7 or 7 out of 8 for the round. And the only one I got wrong was the one where the host said, oh, this one's a gimme. I'm like, well, it's not a gimme because it's the only one I don't freaking know. So then at the end, I because I made a joke about that, and then the, the host said at the end of the round, uh, I guess I should stop saying it's a gimme because... You don't know what pop culture people are exposed to or not. <laughs> but in this case, they were both definitely exposed to the song and just completely forgot about it. Yeah, there was absolutely no excuse for them to not get this piece by Park, given they've literally heard it being played by Anna Lotta. And, and Leonard, was Leonard at that challenge? That was Ke- or was that Kevin? It was Kevin, Philip, Katrine, and Anna Lotta. Yeah, and then Leonard suggests Beethoven for that song? He's like, I'm pretty sure it's the Lord de, that Fleur de Lis. Fleur de Lis. Yeah, I know what Fleur de Lis really is. <laughs> I was going to say, given your Canadianness, you should know what a Fleur de Lis is. <laughs> so the solo does end up costing them 170 euros. The second one is Fleur de Lis, and they get that one easily. The third piece is a complete mystery both to them and me. And I shit you not, this is my next note. It sounds quite Game of Thrones. Yeah, that, I definitely recognize the Game of Thrones theme. I don't know if I would have picked who the musician was, because it's not like he's a big celebrity. Hand on heart, I didn't know that that was the Game of Thrones theme straight away. And it might have just been because Jill wasn't playing it particularly confidently, but I didn't know it was the Game of Thrones theme. So when when they realized it was Game of Thrones, I was like, Oh shit, I was actually right on this. This is awesome. Because I would have got the composer from that, because I would have worked it out from from getting rid of the other options. Because I knew it wasn't any of the classical composers, and I knew it wasn't Hans Zimmer. So it kind of had to be the guy that it was. I would have worked it out, but only by process of elimination, basically, on that one. So the fourth one is Brahms, and they guess Mendelssohn. Appropriately, it's the Cradle Song, to Help Children Sleep which is, of course, accompanied by a sick guitar solo in Anna Lotta's face. And she has 330 euros left on her clock. The fifth song is not Hans Zimmer. It was instead Beethoven again. And Gilles even mocks them and says they're making it difficult for Anna Lotta. And she ends her bit of the challenge with 110 euros left. And she says she's not a super chill person, even outside of someone playing a guitar in the face. But obviously, it was much more difficult than you'd think. Do they keep saying that they thought it was a song from TikTok? I think when they said it was TikTok, I think they meant chopsticks. Oh, okay. I thought I'm like maybe they him like these two guys both are on TikTok frequently. Yeah, there is not a chance in hell that Sven, with his love of children, is anywhere near TikTok. However funny it would have been for the consistent reveals to happen on TikTok, I highly doubt that Sven has even heard of TikTok. That's something more for Big Brother Canada. <laughs> so Sven is the second person. He is wearing a cone of shame with chicken feed in it. All Leonard and Danilos have to do to keep him calm is to catch 60 eggs that are thrown over a wall. If a white egg is dropped, the chicken moves forward one space of three. If a green egg's caught, the chicken moves back. And if a red egg is dropped, then the chicken immediately moves to Sven. Are you aware of a show on Netflix called Flinch? No. It was a, let's be honest, one-season wonder game show that came out last year, the year before, I think, where essentially 
they had to do challenges like this and not flinch. Otherwise, there were um, there were consequences. This chicken challenge is literally taken from flinch. They had a cone of shame filled with chicken feet, and a chicken moved slowly towards them, and if they flinched, then a, a big Irish man with a cattle prod would attack them, basically. So it seems that this year's inspiration that Papa Bear has taken from other game shows is flinch. Was it just only in England? No, it's a worldwide one, I think. The contestants were were from all over the world. It was actually filmed in Ireland. It was filmed on a farm in Ireland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is there. It's not very good, but I can confirm that this challenge pretty much comes directly from it, apart from the cattle prod bit. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting, because uh, like, when I scroll through the Netflix originals, this is definitely not advertised in their list. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't a very good show, I'll be honest. So Anna Lossa drops the first egg, and it's a white one, and Sven is already stressed. She catches a green one then to move it back. They miss two white eggs, putting Sven within one space of the chicken. They drop a third, and then the chicken starts pecking. They grab two green eggs to pull the chicken two away from him. And then Lennart drops a white, and Anna Lossa drops a red. And Sven ends his round with 350 euros. I should note, props to Sven for not wanting to switch to Anna Lotta by the final quiz, because... She only earned 110 euros during the guitar part of her challenge, and then here she dropped more eggs than Leonard's by far <laughs> to make Sven's life miserable here. And I guess Sven wouldn't see Anilata dropping all of those eggs, but props to Sven for still not thinking to switch his mole at this point. Because clearly, no, I mean, even though Sven's like, ah, it's probably Leonard. It's, it's definitely not very confident when your mole just went home yesterday. <laughs> so Lennart is the final one to face his mini-challenge. Sven and Annalotta have to make three German sandwiches. However, if they do it wrong, Lennart will get one of three main ingredients from a Black Forest Gatto launched into his face, either cream, cherries, or chocolate. Which of these three challenges would you have wanted to do? Both as someone being distracted and someone actually playing. I think for the individual one, I think the guitar one would be by far the most enjoyable. Well, yeah, because you're not getting stuff launched at your face, either a chicken or cream. Yeah, like the chicken, like pecking that close to me, that would be a zero euro challenge for me, I think. I would hate that. I'd hate anything that looks like it could peck me in the eyes. <laughs> it would be very entertaining to watch you have to do it, though. I am wondering whether we can uh, we can send Jill an email and get him to recreate that for you next time you're in Europe. Yeah, next time we're in Antwerp. Just for my own entertainment more than anything. Yeah, they'll set it up in Kineopolis in one of the theatres for everyone to see. I mean, don't put it out there, because I can make these sort of things happen. And then I guess as a duo, I'd probably want to... I think, no, catching the eggs would be by far the most fun one, because I'd be doing a complete guessing game on the piano challenge, and I don't really like classical music. And then I definitely don't want to be making food, so... Yeah, I think egg launching would be very fun to chase after all those eggs being thrown over a wall. I bet you if Jill was the one that was launching them over. No, it was out of a tennis ball launcher. Yeah, that's designed specifically for eggs. I think, from my perspective, obviously you do want to meditate during the guitar challenge because it's the least disgusting of the of the three. I think I would probably be best at the classical music challenge. I think the egg one would be most fun, but I think I would be terrible at catching the eggs and i think i would be absolutely hopeless at doing the the speed sandwich building 
I think the egg one I do well at because it's very similar to baseball with drills in the outfield where, where you keep having to run into the shallow outfield to catch fly balls. So I think that's why I would do well at the egg challenge too. So Sven takes the lead, given his job, and they have 30 seconds from the order coming in, and their first order is a fish sandwich, which is correct. The second order comes in, and it's two meat breads and a Bavarian pretzel. They are wrong, and Lennus, in return, receives some cream to the face, like as in one of Logan's monkey videos. And they forgot the sauerkraut on one of the meat breads. The third order comes in, it is a fish sandwich, a meat sandwich, and a pretzel. Lennus now faces the chocolate sprinkles, which also launch into his face. And the last order is one meat sandwich and two fish ones. This time, Lennart faces cherries. They also launch into his face, and he finishes with a rather impressive 780 euros left. This might be why Leonard's was picked to be the mole. Because he has something where it's like, oh, you don't, I don't know when I'm going to be hit in the face. And he stays completely calm and chill throughout. So clearly, he can stay cool under high-pressure situations. Well, yeah, we know that from the... Um... From the simulated drowning challenge on Slearsay. If you think Leonard, as we now know, is the mole, he lasted like three minutes, wasn't it, in that tank? Yeah, so clearly he doesn't really get stressed out. And then, of course, he had to pretend that he didn't do as well holding his breath <laughs> by bailing out at 50 seconds when he did it with, was it Samina and Analata? Analata didn't even do it at, at all. It was Yasmin and Analata. No wonder Analanta only earned 110 euros, because based on the holding your breath challenge, which she refused to take part in, she doesn't do too well with uh, high-pressure, stressful scenarios. Yeah, Lennart, as Mole, lasted 2 minutes and 39 on that challenge. And it was 52 that he actually set on Slayersay. So, yeah, it's very interesting that at the end of this challenge, it's, oh, Leonard was by far the biggest money earner. Sven and Analata did terrible this challenge overall. They both didn't even come close to making any of the three recipes, I believe. They were both trying to screw each other over as much as possible, which I think is it's really the correct strategy you have to do at this point. In fact, I would say Sven should have tried to earn even less money at the chicken feed challenge. He should have tried to bring that counter down even more. It is interesting contrasting that with what Gilles said in the kickoff special which was we don't have anyone on our season to fake moles when we have Sven and Philip both make final four and Yasmin Yasmin took a lot of money out of the pot as well so Gilles confirms that they won 1240 euros of 3000 for the challenge and that there is one more chance to win any money but that's for tomorrow for now they will be sleeping in the castle until the end of their journey in Germany and they then have dinner together. Analasa says it's romantic eating with her two husbands. And Leonard manages to weasel an invitation to Sven's Christmas party out of him. And it's more like it's more like Sven taking in a homeless person for dinner by the sounds of it. He's like, well, I gotta take in this lonely soul. You gotta go somewhere for Christmas. Analasa says she's unsure at the moment, but wants to follow her gut, even though it led her to Philip previously. Sven led her to wrong ingredients with the sandwiches, which was a little bit shady. Sven says that Leonard's classical music knowledge was lacking, perhaps he was moulding that challenge, and Leonard says it's crazy that Annalotta couldn't relax in a room for five minutes, even with a guitar player. Yeah, Leonard's sabotage was quite subtle at the classical music challenge. He only he led Sven to screw up on Beethoven, but if Sven did that challenge by himself, I think Sven would have gotten zero out of five. So it's tough to say that Leonard moulded that challenge when Sven did even worse than him. 
So in the middle of the night, someone comes into Annalotta's room and dognaps Izzy, presumably Jill. I'm just working on the assumption it's probably Jill who did that. And they wake on day 20, the penultimate day of the trip. And Sven wakes up the other two, and Annalotta is very confused as to where Izzy has got to. It's a note left by Izzy. Dear Annalotta, I have gone home to roam free with my other dog friends. Sincerely, Izzy. Juice. (laughs) So they get a video on their phone of Izzy's dog napping, and then Jill sends them a text saying that the faster they free him, the more money that they will earn for the pot. And Sven suggests that instead of saving Izzy, they have a nice shower and breakfast first, just to be safe. (laughs) It's like, ah... I'm sure whoever dognapped Izzy is taking good care of her. Yeah, he'll be fine. Another ten minutes won't kill Izzy. Yeah, and then we, we cut to Izzy, and Izzy is like James Bond and Goldfinger on the table, and the laser's moving slowly towards Izzy on the table. Do you know that when they actually filmed that stunt, that was seriously dangerous? It was one of the most dangerous James Bond stunts ever, that. Because I believe, and someone will correct me if I'm wrong on this, I believe the way they had to recreate it in the studios was have James Bond strapped to the table for realsies and someone with a blowtorch underneath the table doing blazer mark, basically. Not being able to see actually where his groin was. Uh, Sean Connery is one fearless badass, then. Yeah. I seem to remember that Sean Connery did an interview basically where he said that that was the most dangerous thing he's ever actually been a part of. No wonder Goldfinger says, no, Bond, I expect you to die. So Izzy is in an abandoned sanatorium in Bielitzheilstatten. Jill tells them that they can earn up to 10,000 euros, which is the most they have ever offered in a single challenge, at least most in terms of figures. That argument is, I would say, the Greece uh, final challenge with uh, Alina in the hotel room full of fans. The 10,000 euros will start ticking down slowly. However, they can only earn the money if they trained Izzy well. They have to follow a rope which is acting as a buzzwire through the building, leading them to Izzy's cage. Only he can stop the money ticking down by hitting the red button. They are attached to the rope, but are not allowed to touch it. And this is yet another challenge that just reminds me of Argentina, with the subterranean buzzwire challenge. Well, I mean, it's the exact same concept. If your carabiner touches the, the wire, then you have to go back. It's the same concept, but with a lot more creepy ghosts and explosions. Yeah, who's that Japanese anime director guy? Ah, yes, Hayao Miyazaki. That's what it reminds me of. (laughs) Yeah, the the ghosts in there remind me of a Hayao Miyazaki film. That would creep me out quite a bit. I think my carabiner would have hit the wire at least once or twice. Again, Leonard was at the front of the line, so he was the one that didn't react. Oh yeah, it's a genuinely creepy opening to this challenge especially i think the german shepherd actually isn't that much of a distraction once it stops barking at you i think it stops barking because analata was taking so long because sven even makes fun of her saying well the dog just got bored and fell asleep now so it was very very funny to watch the dog actually in that section of the challenge because because yeah it it starts properly barking at them and, and acting like a guard dog and then i'd say within a minute of us seeing this challenge, the dog is laying on the floor, just looking up at them, looking adorable like German Shepherds do. It just gives up, and then, as Sven says, does end up trying to have a little kip in the uh, in the room, whilst Annalotta is slowly trying to get across the wire. So they do the first 10 metres of the route flawlessly, but then Sven touches between the first and second pole, 
We get another hilarious interaction between Sven and Leonard, where Leonard says, oh, "Announce you're going to sh announce you're shaking the cable, so I know to brace for the movement in the wire." And then Sven pauses and says, "I'm going to shake the cable." <laughs> I have to say, I know we'll talk a lot more about him next week, more than likely, but I love Sven so much. He did remind me of Bart a lot preseason, and he reminds me a lot of Bart throughout the season as well. But he has he has a very Bart energy. And finishes the same position as Bart. Yeah, he's very dry, very, very droll. I really like Sven. And I can't tell again if Sven and, and Analata are trying to be the two worst people at this challenge once more, just to try and trick the other into thinking they're the mole. I don't know how you'd feel if you got to the end of the final four elimination and then realized that you were on the wrong mole. I don't know what you'd do. I think the correct strategy is to try and mull as much as possible, because I'm gonna I would argue that Sven should have done even worse in this final challenge. Especially when he's the one that's sent to retrieve the key. If they earn less than a thousand euros at the end of the challenge, I don't think Analanta picks Leonard as the mole. I think Sven hustled too fast to get the key that Analot says, you know what? I don't think Sven is the mole anymore. But if that counter was Less than a thousand or hit zero because Sven pretended to get lost or just moved too slowly or fumbled with the key or was too allergic to Izzy to and was like, no, I'm not going to press his paw to the red button. I think Analanta would stick with Sven as the mole and Sven wins the game. So I think Sven actually messes up, messes up this final challenge more than he even realizes. So they reach the halfway point with just under nine and a half thousand euros left on the clock. After the fourth pole, there are obstacles to travel over, and a German Shepherd barking at them. And Annalotta advises that Sven needs to spread his legs on the seesaw to find his balance, because they're doing a dog agility course. The German Shepherd gives up barking at them eventually, Annalotta struggles to complete the seesaw, and the dog ends up falling asleep, and Sven and Leonard basically heckle her in whispers. They then reach Izzy's cage and free him. He doesn't really want to push the button, and they read a note saying that there is a key on the first floor which will open the door. But as soon as they go for the key, the money clock will start counting down much, much faster. And we're talking like at least 10 times faster. How much was that when they reached the cage initially? 9,000? It's about seven and a half, I think, by the time that Analotta completes the seesaw. And you could tell that Analotta took a long time on the seesaw. Because that, that was a pretty big montage. She took about 1,500 seconds, because I think... I think it was going down a euro a second, and it went down about 1,500 between the start of the seesaw and the end of the seesaw. So that would be almost half an hour? She took 25 minutes, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a good thing that with the challenge, they only did it one euro per second, so they, as long as they are willing to try, they, they could give him plenty of time to let Izzy touch the red button. So Sven grabs the key and realises he has to help Izzy, but he is allergic to dogs, giving us a brilliant callback joke for the rest of the season. With a little help from Sven, Izzy pushes the button at €1,878, which they round up to an even €1,900 of 10000 for the challenge, 3140 of 13000 for the episode, and 18240 of a possible €101,000 for the season. Not a high percentage. <laughs> Analasta says that Izzy is worth far more than 10,000 euros and Sven almost immediately comes back with he's currently worth 1,900 euros to them <laughs> and for the record the pot is roughly about 4,000 euros lower than last season 
and both seasons faced a 10,000 euro deduction from a contestant. Gilles confirms to them the pot and tells them to get a good night's sleep for the finale tomorrow. And they get a nice call home scene first. Which, of course, us being us, we're going to skip through fairly quickly. Sven is quite coy with his girlfriend, I'm assuming. He can't say exactly what happened, but he hints that he was on the wrong path up until this episode. Anna Lotter asks her sister if she's prepared their parents for Izzy's arrival, and she asks if there is a chance to swap Izzy for Gilles de Costa, which I'm sure he loved in the editing bay and found hilarious, and not at all awkward for him. And we also find out that Leonard didn't even bring a suit with him. Him and Sven need to get one when they go back to Berlin tomorrow. Maybe that's why they added on the extra day, because there wasn't any challenges for that final day. It's like, well, I guess we have to add on an extra day for filming, since Leonard doesn't have a suit. (laughs) Maybe they just wanted to give them extra time to actually work out who the mole was. Yeah, maybe at the end of day 20, Sven records a confessional saying, if the quiz is tonight, I'm going to spread between Leonard and Analata, and then Analata says, so I'm going to pick Sven to be the mole. And then production, and Jill says, well... No, we always want the mole to be unmasked, so let's add in another day tomorrow and hopefully one of them changes their mind. <laughs> so they then get their traditional final brunch with Jill. Leonard manages to get champagne on his trousers when he fires the cork off. And I think that cork flew into outer space along with that Chinese rocket, and the cork and the Chinese rocket both landed somewhere in the, in the Indian Ocean near the Maldives. Jill interrogates them at brunch. Sven missed all the diaries, letting attackers through. Anna Lotter and Lennart were both on the last wave. Could either of them have been just looking for one specific attacker to stop? Anna Lotter didn't last long with the wine. She says it lasted about as long as her experience with hospitality. Lennart struggled with the bubble football, despite actually being able to play football. Anna Lotter and Sven were selfish with the bomb game. Sven couldn't play the horn. And he's been saying for two weeks that he doesn't know how that happened. Anna Lotter panicked at the drowning challenge on Slayer Say. Leonard didn't call the control tower in the plane and crashed it. Sven said he couldn't hang off the building, but he could have done a bungee jump by forcing himself to do it. And Anna lost the jokes that she's had Izzy for three years, and he's not called Isidore in reality, which is a theory that people did have during the season. In fact, it is the main reason why I suspected Anna lost her in the mid part of the season, is that theory that actually she already owned Izzy. And then Jill asks them the traditional final question, are you the mole? All of them, surprisingly, say no. So now it is time for the final test. 30 questions on the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows the most will leave Germany with the pot, €18,240, and be the one person this season to unmask the mole. The final test takes place at the Meistersaal, a concert hall in the centre of Berlin, where the greats have played, and where albums including David Bowie's Heroes were recorded. Gilles tells them first, though, that Alice Hat and Ender, everything has an end. 30 questions, one winner and one mole. Anna Lotta says she's been spreading for a while and put points on Sven, and it is logical to do that again. However, looking at the follow the money theory, Leonard hasn't made much. She says that whoever the mole is, they have done really well. Sven says the mole wasn't on his radar until a few days ago. If he had to put money on it now, he would put it on Leonard. Leonard says the last pieces of the puzzle have come together for him over the past couple of days, and he's confident in his mole. Anna Lotta says that she can't lie, but she's lied fantastically whenever the opportunity has come up. All three of them finish their test, and the lights go out. Whoever's light switches back on will win the money. That is Anna Lotta, and it's fair to say she is quite shocked that she won. And I must admit, so was I. Yep, congrats to Anna Lotta. 
<laughs> Honestly, up until her light went back on, I thought Sven had won the season. No, I was expecting Alar to, to was going to win. I was expecting it last week that she was going to win, but the entire narrative this episode was basically that Sven was the only person who was confident it was Lena. So it was actually a blindside for me that Annalosa won. Not that I hate it in the slightest, because Annalosa's been really fun all season. And more importantly, I drafted Annalosa as well. And she is then taken in the traditional fashion to the theatre to find out who the mole is for realsies. The curtains open, and centre stage is our mole. His name is Leonard. God, I wish we were in the press room for this moment. <laughs> yeah, because they lead you to think that Analata put down Sven as her mole on the quiz. Because that's what she was saying most of the episode is, oh, I'm pretty sure it's Sven, but I guess I, I'm assuming the fact that she didn't change her mind until 10 minutes beforehand means that she wouldn't have changed her mind until after all of the confessionals were recorded. I'm quite surprised they didn't get us to go back and re-record something. Yeah, maybe they had. Maybe they did, because maybe production goes up to Analata and says, um... This is different from what you've been saying (laughs) this whole episode. So it's going to be tough for viewers to figure out how the hell you won when you never really said Leonard was your mole. (laughs) Yeah, it feels like a really weird narrative because, as I said, I did think that Sven was probably going to win the season up until the point when her light went on because we were fed the narrative that Sven won and Sven was the only person actually suspecting Leonard. And you got to think how much tougher this is from Anuata's perspective because... If you're Sven, you know by Analata's actions all season, it, it can't be her. You're gonna, as soon as Philip goes home, you're like, well, by default, it has to be Leonard. But since Sven has been just as moly as Leonard this whole season, and then excluding the 10,000 euro sabotage, Leonard and Sven are probably neck and neck. I mean, even with the 10,000 euro sabotage, people forget that Sven did put down 7,600 euros that he was willing to wager for the rice telling. People tend to forget he Sven put down a really high number too. So from Analata's perspective, it's not a default choice for her. It really is between two people. So she had a much tougher path to figure out, okay, whoever isn't the mole knows for sure who it is. But for me, it's a lot tougher because one of you just genuinely really sucks at all of these challenges and the other is the mole. I think Sven had an inherent advantage and it goes back to something I flagged last week in that last week we didn't know who Philip had actually gone for. You can work it out from this week, and I'll get to that in a minute. But because Sven knows he isn't the mole, and because Sven knows that Philip isn't the mole, and because Annalotta and Lennart have been together for so long in so many of these challenges, any question that comes up about the Hansel and Gretel challenge, or any other challenge where Annalotta and Lennart have been together, Sven automatically gets points from that because he knows exactly what team the mole was on purely by default. So for Annalotta to turn around and then beat him in the end is actually an even more impressive achievement than you'd realise on the face of it. Yeah, on top of knowing that she had to really try to pick between two people. Yeah, because not only did she have the handicap of having to pick between two people who theoretically could have been the mole, but she also had the challenge disadvantage of the fact that her and Leonard have been together for so long that she has to be confident it's Leonard to score any points on that. She can automatically get points for questions like, is the mole male or female? Because she is the last woman standing and therefore she knows the mole's male. But she loses out on any specific challenge-related questions on the quiz. So it's even more of an achievement that she managed to beat him in the end. And arguably we do know, thanks to Jill, that 
it did go to a, a retest and it did go to the speed round, I think. It definitely went to the handwritten questions. Yeah, I was wondering if it was a tie or not, because when Sven comes out, Jill says, it was close. It was a very close finish. So I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll get the exact number next week, but I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being like five seconds or even less. Yeah, I think it was very, very close. And I think in that case, because they were all together, I think Lennart probably did the speed round as well, just to to make it even more fun. Which is surprising because after we did the Argentina rewatch, I think our one recommendation is make the final test longer so it doesn't come down to a handwritten quiz. I think that's I think we said make it forty like Vidim instead of thirty questions. The irony is, of course, that our finale episode for Argentina probably came out about a month before this season filmed. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious now that they've had two ties on a 30 question quiz and then have to go to a handwritten quiz if now they're saying, well, it's not the best way to end the season. Maybe we'll do a 40 question quiz because I think a timed handwritten quiz just isn't the best way to determine the winner. Hopefully there was more questions on the handwritten quiz this time. Hopefully there was 20 instead of I think it was just 10 that they did for the tiebreaker. I think Jill said it was 10 again. I think they got to avoid that scenario where it's just a 10-question ultra speed round to determine the winner. So until 10 minutes before the final test, she was on Sven, but she realised that Lennart was always there when things went wrong. Sven says it's a good thing he put Lennart in a fancy suit if he was going to have his big reveal moment, and Jill confirms that it was the first time all season that anyone put Lennart's name as the mole. Izzy then comes in as the fourth finalist, and is wearing a bow tie. As part of her prize, Anna Lotta also gets to keep Izzy with Lennart and Sven's blessing. And I would have loved it if Sven turned around and went, actually, no, I want him. <laughs> yeah, well, you you won 18,000 euros, so I get to have the dog. I might be deathly allergic to dogs, but I still want Izzy. <laughs> All I'm going to say is this. I'm glad Leonard didn't physically abuse Izzy when trying to teach him not to press the red button. Because I was worried that that montage was going to get really out of hand, that he was going to start like throwing fists. He no, don't press the red button, or just start swearing at Adam or something like that. It was mentioned on the Bothers Bar Discord today that it's not entirely comfortable seeing a scene of Leonard physically pushing Izzy away from the button. But I have a theory that Leonard wasn't necessarily left alone with Izzy that much. He spent an awful lot of time with Anna obviously. And it was only in moments like when Philip and Sven were hanging off the cliff where Leonard was actually left alone with Izzy. However, I think Leonard probably trained Izzy to come to him rather than Anna Lotta. Because it was very telling that Sven ran for the key and Leonard didn't. Because if Leonard ran for the key and was the one in the cage, then Izzy probably would have just followed him. But we found out last week that if Anna Lotta went, she wanted Leonard to be the one who looked after Izzy because he was the second best at dealing with Izzy. Well, yeah, during the, yeah, that's true. During the cliff challenge, he did go into the room with all of the women and say, well, I guess Izzy's going to be in my room for the for the night. And I'm assuming that's when he taught Izzy not to press the red button. I have a feeling that he trained Izzy to be more confused as to who his master actually was to then add a bit of difficulty to this challenge. Because if it was just Anna Lossa who was training him, Izzy probably would have pushed the button pretty damn quick. But because... Annalotta and Leonard were both there, and because Izzy associates both of them with positive attention, that was the reason why he rushed to the cage rather than to the button. He prefers seeing both of those two people than actually hitting the button. He doesn't associate the button with the with the positive vibes like he does with Annalotta and Leonard. 
So yeah, we see his greatest hits, including dissuading Izzy from pushing the button, taking his time getting the grapes, as I speculated at the time, can I point out? Gilles telling him he's got no mercy after the park-in challenge, him throwing a pass frog in the bin, which is really annoying because he could have kept it and given it to us, and him making a mole symbol repeatedly with his hands. And also Sven rubbing the word mole into his back in Volterol. <laughs> and he did tell Gilles they won't suspect him even after he bids 10k for the Vrystelling. Yeah, because Jill says, are you sure you want to bid 10,000? And Leonard says, yeah, I think I can get away with 10,000. And he does. I think it's been confirmed now that Leonard wasn't given any instruction from production what to bet with that challenge. He just did it because he wanted to be a cocky mole and knew that nobody suspected him and that he could get away with it. Yeah, he did that final five and still nobody thought, hmm. Leonard might be the mole after taking 10,000 euros away from us. Not one person thought, okay, now it's Leonard. All four people still were off of him. And then at final four, nobody was still suspecting him. And at final three, you had one person say they wanted to spread between the other two finalists and one person be on the wrong contestant until 10 minutes before the final quiz. I have to say, if there's a season that deserves to have a record low pot, it has to be a season where the mole doesn't get fished out until the final episode. I think that's when you deserve to have a record low pot be earned. Not like Vidim, where record low pots are earned even when contestants have figured out who the mole is two or three rounds before the end of the game. I think this is more of a next week question, but I'm going to ask it now and next week. Where do you think Lennart's going to place in our Belgian mole rankings? It's tough because as viewers, we were on to him very, very early on and on a very consistent basis. But you can't deny that in terms of the actual contestants playing with him, that Leonard completely fooled anybody. And an argument could be made that he was, he got away with the most sabotaging of, I think, any mole out of any of the Belgian seasons. Probably the highest percentage of money that just anytime he did a challenge, it didn't get earned and still have nobody suspect him all the way until the final minutes of the game. You gotta say that in terms of the amongst the group themselves, that Leonard has gotta be number one, you would think. Just because he was able to get away with so much and be completely undetected. I think from my point of view, obviously I've been, for the past couple of weeks, very militant against Leonard betting 10,000 euros as a mole. And I did say at the time that if Leonard is the mole, we're going to have a serious conversation about whether this actually affects our impression of him. I hate it less knowing that production didn't push him towards it and that Gilles said to him basically, are you sure you want to do that? Do you think you can get away with it? Is that not a bit too ballsy? That makes him go up in my estimations. By default, he is top four of the six that we've seen in Belgian mole. I assume Peter and Deline are your bottom two? Yeah. Yeah, Peter 5th, Aline 6th for me. I've gone into my reasons why. I don't hate Aline as a person, I just don't think she was a very good mole. Especially given the quality of her season. And Peter, Peter was an okay mole, and I think he would be a good Dutch mole, I just don't think he's a good Belgian mole. I think there's an argument to be made for him to be better than Jill and or Alina. And I think that will depend on next week. I don't think he beats Elizabeth for me. Just because he didn't find out he was the mole on location? <laughs> yeah, I think Elizabeth wins brownie points for the fact that she didn't know she was mole when she flew to Vietnam. And the fact that she not only adapted to the situation, but 
adapted so brilliantly to the situation and you basically couldn't tell from her performance that she'd only just found out in location, I would say. She is as good as any other mole, if not better, but she found out on day one of the game that she was going to be mole. And I feel like you get so many brownie points for that sort of uh, beginning to her game and how good she is at adapting that I don't think a Belgian mole can beat Elizabeth for me without having some sort of big twist to them being the mole. I think probably in the end, he will place higher than Alina for me, but not higher than Jill. Yeah, Alina was a really good mole last year too. And what's funny thing is that she was undetected for a very long time too, and had very few people suspect her. But yet we were onto her as well. So it's kind of funny just how different it is as a viewer when you're watching this, how much easier it is to pick out who the mole is compared to when you're an actual contestant. Yeah, I said this last week, I think it's a different kettle of fish being in that pressure cooker environment for three weeks and trying to work out who it is than sitting at home on your ass watching for eight weeks and trying to guess. Yeah, you get to do like hashtag follow the money charts where it's like, well, it can't be this person or that person. Alot has earned way too much to be the mole. I think it's a massively different situation there. And that is, to be honest, given the theme of this entire episode is basically how did we suspect Lena and nobody else did? I think that is the main answer to that question is the fact that we have the the oversight that comes from watching this in an edited package with subtitles, which really helps for us, obviously knowing that there are hidden clues hidden in these episodes, even if we don't find them, that there are hidden clues, and that you can always get a perception from the episodes of who is going to be going home and who you don't need to suspect. And it narrows it down in our minds much easier. And the fact we've watched the other five Belgian mall seasons in the past three years. This is the end of seven seasons since the start of 2020 for us, in terms of mall. Yeah. Because we did Vidum 20, then Greece, then Vidum Argentina, then Renaissance, then South Africa, and then 21, and now this one. So it's seven. Yeah, I think we have s- some decent sleuthing abilities. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually genuinely proud that I managed to get Leonard from week one, being honest. That's the takeaway from this season for me, is the fact that actually, for the first time in six seasons, I have been on the money with the mole. That never happens in Belgium. I'm getting better, but it never happens that I get the mole really quickly in Belgium. Watch next year where everyone figures out who the mole is amongst the contestants, but you don't. Oh, I've said this in the past. If I'm at the finale, I actually much prefer not knowing and being surprised because it made that Vietnam finale so much more fun for me being in that room going, oh, for fuck's sake, Saunders has won. And now I've got to speak to the final three and not look like a complete dick. I think that's way more fun than going in like I would this year, going, I know we're speaking to Sven, I know we're speaking to Anna Lotter, I know we're speaking to Leonard, and I know that mole is Leonard, and nothing's going to dissuade me from that. And then next year, next year, Izzy and Bertrand will both know who the mole is too. I think it's a completely different attitude, me walking into that press room knowing 100% who the mole is, because I was maybe 90, 95% it was Leonard. I had a little wobble this week when I saw how popular Sven was being in terms of the uh, the fan polls. But I was pretty damn confident it was Leonard, and I would have walked into that press room this weekend going, it's Leonard, definitely. And then been potentially shocked again, sitting there with Gilles de Costa howling in my ear behind me. So, a couple of bits of housekeeping. Obviously, First Suspicions and Pool both end this week. In the First Suspicions list, as I said last week, 11 people were onto Leonard as Mole in week one. That is Holger Matt, Philip, Dale, Walter, John, Kim, Ben, Germanist, Christopher, Matt Clebson, and Fly101. 
of those, Philip, Walter, and Germanist all had Annalotta in third, which means that as a group, they steal the tiebreaker from Holger Matt at the last second. The lowest score you could have possibly had between winner and mole was three points, and they all scored four. Holger Matt scored five, I scored six, and quite hilariously, story of this season, Logan Saunders placed in last place with a score of 17. You had one of them in ninth, one of them in eighth. I can't remember which way around it was. I think you had Lent in eighth. Awesome. It made me laugh a lot when I was doing the update earlier, just going, Logan somehow has been beaten by the person who was on pretty much the maximum score three weeks ago. In our pool, for the first time ever, I do reign victorious, having drafted Len at second, which should have been first. I also managed to draft the winner, so double win for me. And the information from Jill's post, before we get to our announcement that we actually haven't haven't trailed ahead to, I'll get to that in a minute. So the applications for Season 10 are open until June the 7th. If you are in Belgium, please apply so we can talk shit about you next year. What an incentive. Yeah. You've got until, I think it's midday on June the 7th to uh, to apply and basically be our victims next year, because let's be honest, we're going to be back. I'm spoiling that for next week. Before the filming of the reunion episode, apparently Leonard tricked the crew into thinking that he'd got a positive coronavirus test. What a dark joke. This is a story that Gilles actually told on his uh, his post on Mullen Group. Apparently during the hostel stay, uh, Izzy escaped while the girls were in the jacuzzi and Sven, Leonard and Philip all had to find him and he was hiding somewhere in the hostel. The family visit at Final Six was a backup idea, and it was meant to be a proper assignment in the Alps, but the weather took a turn. And I think you can work out from the results of this season that Philip was on Sven. I'm going to pin my my colours to the mast and say next week we're going to find out Philip was on Sven. Because, logically, if Lennart, Annalotta and Sven were all on Philip, or Lennart, in inverted commas, was on Philip, then you get the same amount of points pretty much from going for Philip as you do from Sven. And it's the only logical way that Philip could have scored worse than Annalotta or Sven on that test, I think. Given that Lennart and Annalotta were basically on the same team for two-thirds of that episode. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think there's another way that Philip could have gone home other than being on Sven last week. And the final question that I do have to ask before we do a little announcement is, do you think they will reveal the identity of the alternative mole next week? No. I don't think they can do a satisfying conclusion to that twist without revealing the old mole's face, or name, or both. Because they may want to use that person for season 10. Yeah, the problem is, half of the production have seen them, and more importantly, so has Leonard. Oh, right. Sucks to be that person. <laughs> I think, given what we know about episode 1 twists, and this is another another moment where hindsight is twenty twenty, and obviously we've seen all six of these seasons in the past three years, as you mentioned. Every episode one twist we have had a satisfying resolution to by the end of the season. This is the first one that's actually stretched longer than like episode two or three, in terms of the twists, at least. I don't think you can have a satisfying conclusion to this without showing us who the alternative mole was, or giving us their name, or both. Because you can't show any more of that twist video without showing us that, I don't think. And it still be satisfying. Because obviously you could show us more and still have the alternative mole in shadow or hidden or something so we don't see their body type and pick them out of next season's lineup. But I don't think you can do it without showing them. Speaking of the season 10 applications, can I just say I'm really, really glad that there isn't any push from the viewers to have them do an all-star season? <laughs> yeah. 
I know this is one of our bugbears, and I can't remember whether we've mentioned this on Germany this season, but it's one of our absolute bugbears. Stop always wanting an all-star season. Don't do all-star seasons for the mole, Belgium. Never do an all-star season. It just doesn't work. I think Gilles has actually ruled it out, being honest, but I don't see why, from their perspective, you would ever do an all-star season, given the sheer quantity of applications that they get every season. I think a good sign for the Season 10 applications is they haven't put an arbitrary numerical limit on it. Last season it was, I think, 5,000 and 10,000 and they ended up capping it at 30,000. I don't think there is an upper limit this season. You assume that there can't be more than 30,000. Once you cap it at 30,000, you think, well, what's the difference between 31,000 and 30,000? So, we have been teasing all season that there is going to be a big announcement at the end of next week's episode as to what we're doing after this season, because obviously this is currently episode 375, and we've already said we're going to reach 400 episodes this year, and numerically that doesn't work when the last episode of the season's next week. So obviously we're doing more episodes later in the year. I'm not going to confirm what they are just yet, you've got to wait more and more week for that. However, Logan Saunders did remind me of something we discussed at the start of the year last week or during the week, I should say. And we didn't tease this announcement because we kind of didn't have an announcement to tease until, like, two or three days ago. This week is the anniversary of a very special episode that we did. In fact, this comes out on Thursday. Wednesday is the 12th of May. 12th of May 2018, we released a very special episode. It is an episode that I think, and I'm willing to be corrected on this, I think it is still our most listened to episode ever. By far. There is no episode that's even come close to it. It was an episode that I, still three years later, cannot kind of believe we ever made happen. And that was, and I think people are going to see where I'm going with this when I say these words, that was a chat with Gilles de Costa. And earlier this year we did discuss what would happen if, as we suspected, the pandemic wasn't over in time and we couldn't go to Antwerp for the finale on Sunday. The conclusion we came to was that, given we did Argentina and South Africa last year, that it is only fair that maybe we reach out to Gilles again. And I'm pleased to say that we sent him an email last week, and he's come back and said yes. So in a few weeks' time, we will be sitting down for an episode that I'm already dubbing Return of the Pap, once again, Return of the Pap. And we're going to have yet another chat with Gilles de Costa, where I'm sure he will not mention us calling him Papa Bear repeatedly. And that does, of course, mean one thing, the reason I'm announcing this, is we need some questions. Pretty much nothing, I think, will be off limits, with the exception of like proper production stuff where he said, you know, I can't answer that last time. Any season is fair game, as far as I'm aware. We know that he's a big Mole fan generally. We know he has seen a little bit of Dutch Mole. I don't think he's seen absolutely loads of it. And with a bit of luck, barely anything will be off limits and he will answer pretty much any question we put to him. So send him in. You know where we are on social media. I'll be giving out those details very soon. You know where we are on email. I'll be giving those details out soon. But as far as I am aware, pretty soon after this season ends, we will be speaking to Gilles de Costa again. And I can't wait, because if you've heard our last episode with him, he's a lovely, lovely man. He has done potentially more for us as a podcast than anyone else in the world. And he is alarmingly intelligent and cannot be stumped by any of our questions. It is infuriating and wonderful at the same time. And I'm sure I will get a message of him pretty soon after this episode goes up saying, you're not allowed to call it Return of the Pat, for God's sake. It's the return of the Pat. You lied to me. 
So yeah, in place of us being at the finale this weekend, obviously we would have loved to have been in Antwerp for this episode and this episode to have been recorded on the Sunday night at about one o'clock with Logan still fairly merry and me sleep deprived. But instead, we are going to have a little sit down with best friend of the podcast, Gilda Costa. So have you got anything else to say about the finale? Nope. Excellent. So, thank you for listening to our Demol Bedry recap. We'll be back next week to conclude the hunt for Lennart and see what he actually got up to in Germany. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, all of which are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at logsubquacky, and I'm MJ Harmstone. Thank you, as always, to Natalia for the subtitles. We'll see you next week for the reunion episode. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. Hello, gang. It's just Michael again. After we recorded on Monday, we now have confirmation of Jill when we're going to be speaking to him, and that is next Tuesday, the 18th of May. As a result, that is also the deadline for when you want to send any questions in, and the episode will be coming out on the 27th of May, the week after we release our reunion episode. See you soon!